G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Do you know what Joseph and Jesus have in common? Both were the object of the Father's special love. Both had promises of divine exaltation. Both were mocked by their families. Both were sold for pieces of silver. Both were stripped of their robes. Both embraced God's purposes, even though it brought intense physical harm. There's something else that Joseph and Jesus have in common. They had to go at it alone. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and I'm thrilled to bring you the rest of this sermon about Joseph and Jesus from the Origin series. The Bible is filled with ordinary people who faced great adversity but found hope in God's promises. And today we're continuing to explore the captivating story of Joseph. In this message, Pastor Jeff is talking about how God uses our troubles for the good of His will. You can hear the entire Origin series on your podcast app. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But right now, let's hear from Pastor Jeff as he finishes this message from Genesis chapter 37 from verse 3. I want to read something to you and tell you about two interesting Greek words that I hope, I hope will clarify some things for you. And it's a passage we're all familiar with. It's Romans 8, 28 and 29. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay, there are two Greek words here that are not the same. And that if Paul meant to say the same thing twice, he would use the same word. First, he says, there are those God foreknew. The Greek word is prognosko. Prognosko means that God is able to see every event that's ever going to happen in your life. Of course he can. He's not limited by time and space. Now, that doesn't mean that he determines every event of your life. He just knows every event of your life. Your free will is still intact. But he knows ultimately the choices you're going to make. Okay? And then he says, God foreknows all of this. And yes, does he know who's going to be saved and who's not? Well, yeah. Does he determine who? No. It's a totally different word. He knows over the course of your life, he knows all the things he's going to do and all the things you're going to do, and ultimately he knows. Okay? But there's another word, proorizo, that means to determine beforehand. And that's the word translated predestined. What is it, though, that is predestined? Your salvation? No. Your sanctification. So God looks down and he says, all right, I see Jeff Bynes' life. I stand outside of time and space and I'm going to do to him what I do to everybody else. I'm going to reveal myself over the course of his life, but Jeff's going to receive me. So you know what I'm going to do? On that day that Jeff Bynes receives me into his life, 
boom, there's a process been in place. I'm going to breathe my Holy Spirit into him and I'm going to make him like Jesus. Now he may fight it, but it's predestined because if what I don't do here, I'll complete in eternity. You got it? You got it? Well, what does that mean for my life here and now? I'll tell you what it means. You can't mess up your life. All those bad things you did, God's going to redeem them all. On that moment that you receive Christ, he redeems all of it. How does he do that? Oh, man, he's really good at this. He's really good at this. All the pain, all the suffering, all the frustration, all the mistakes, he redeems it. And now he uses uniquely you, uniquely you with all the baggage and everything you bring into it to help people who are like you who are far from God come near. There's a pastor that was a, say with, I'll keep, we'll expound on this. I, there's a pastor that was a pastor of a large church, not going to mention any names, and huge church. Uh, I think 30,000 at last count. And he retired a few years ago and he was doing a conference, uh, just all pastors, all mega church pastors. And he was asked the question, what is the best, what is the one lesson you've learned over 45 years of ministry? And we all stood there, sat there. Oh, this is going to be good. Great church, great pastor. <laughs> and he said, I'll tell you the greatest lesson I've ever learned. And he said this, God is good. People suck. <laughs> That's it. Think about that. God is good. People suck. Of course, me and the way I think, I thought, well, you're people, so you suck too. Right? The Bible says there's no one good, no one righteous. Yet God in his mercy and his foreknowledge uses every event of your life for sacred purposes. Does that mean you're not held responsible for stupid things you do? Of course you are. But the moment you become a Christ follower, he redeems it all. And he separates your sins as far as the east is from the west. But he does more than separate you from your sin. He ends up using things that were meant for evil. Even you meant for evil. Somehow he redeems it. At first glance, we'll say something like, I'm not sure I like that. Yes, you do. You love it. If you think about it, you love it. Because it does truly mean that God works everything together for his good. Everything. I've got a friend that we've talked a lot about his life. And I think I've mentioned him before, but he came in. He wasn't a Christian or he, he said, I would call myself one for most of my life. But somebody invited him a few years ago into the church. And he said, I came and I sat and I wanted to get out of there as fast as I can because I knew when you started preaching, somebody told you about me. <laughs> they, they must've gotten to you before I got there because you were, you, you were talking right to me. Now people say this all the time, but it has nothing to do with the pastor and everything to do with the Holy Spirit, Right. So I left and I didn't come back for six months and doggone it, I got the nerve and the courage to come back and somebody told you about me again. And that was it. But then he heard the message of grace and forgiveness and mercy and humbled himself. And it's a joy to be around him now because he talks about God's redeemed it all. My addictions, my pride, everything. And I don't know if I know anyone that extends as much grace to people as this guy does. But you know why, don't you? Because he's been under the mud. And when you've been under the mud, you're less judgmental. And you give a lot of grace to people. Every arrogant decision you've made, every addiction that you fought with, every stupid thing that you've done, God is able to redeem it in his time 
in his way for those who don't say, God, you could fix this in five minutes if you wanted to. And you let him do his thing while his love runs its course. This is the gospel. Now, let me take you around third and then make the huge discovery, okay? This is what the gospel says to everyone. And you've heard me say this again and again. Here's the story of Joseph. I ask you one more time. When was Jesus most centered in the will of the Father? When he was dying on the cross. When was Jesus most centered in the will of the Father? When he was dying on the cross. Which means it's very possible to be in the worst place of your life and be right where God wants you at this moment. That's the cross. You see how brilliant the cross is in the mind of God? I mean, you and I can't come up with this stuff. It is possible to be in the worst place of your life and be right where God wants you at the same time. Why? You're in the prison. He's building you for the palace. For the saving of your children, of your family, of a generation, of a community. So that when all seems lost, all is actually being one with your children, with your grandchildren. You think it's hopeless. Stay the course. I know I use this example, but I don't know of a better one yet. Sam Gamgee in Lord of the Rings discovers that his friend Gandalf was not really dead. And he says that grace. He says, does that mean that one day everything is going to become untrue? And the answer for the Christian is yes. All those times that appeared to be senseless, that appeared that no good could come from them, that seemed such a waste of your life and your time, all those moments of sadness that you required some explanation for God, suddenly in that one moment will be turned right side up. And everything bad will become untrue because you'll see how it all fit together for the salvation of perhaps even someone you don't know or can't see. Did it appear on the cross that Jesus had been defeated? Did it appear that evil was winning? As though God had lost control? As though the disciples would never recover? That a senseless, meaningless crime had been committed? That a sinless, righteous man had died for no good cause? I'm telling you, the cross is brilliant in the mind of God because it tells us how God's going to work. Not only what he's going to do, the saving of many, but how he's going to work in our lives. That it is possible to be in the worst place of your life and be in the center of the will of God. You know the question? I have to hurry here. Stay with me. You know the question, the definitive word or phrase, am I in the place of God? Are you in the place of God? You think you know better than God how your life should be going? You think, I'll tell you what the problem is. Stress comes when you think you know what ought to happen and you're afraid God's not going to get it right. So I had a real privilege on this trip, guys. Oh, one of those life-defining moments. I got to go back to Victoria Falls. We only had one day there, had to rush, so I went out and I sat on my favorite ledge. I've been here so many times, it's so beautiful, but this time God gave me, oh man, I got, I, I, you know, when I go away like this, I get, I don't, I'm not thinking so much about you. <laughs> and uh, I, and uh, I said, God, you know, it's been a while since I've been here. Speak, because I went there when I was 22 years old. The first time I saw it was 22 years old and I just started my official ministry. 
And I said, God, show me something. Because I, I, I look back at myself, what I would have looked like. So I'm sitting, you think about it, I'm sitting in this place that when I was 22 years old, I sat there. If I can be honest, I actually brought my four iron with me and I hit a golf ball over Victoria Falls. It didn't make it over, but I tried it. But that's the kind of, I mean, just having fun there. And I sat down and I said, God, speak to me. And I'll tell you, God asked me a question. It wasn't audible. But he said, what's your dream job? God, I have it. Standing up in front of you guys every week? No, helping people far from God coming near. I have it. God said, how'd you get there? And everything. The last practice before the, the last season of my senior year in basketball, I injured, got a pretty bad injury. I remember thinking how God had abandoned me because all the scouts were going to come my senior year, and I really wanted to try to get a Division I scholarship, and I knew I needed to play that season. I got injured. I was out for half the season, never fully recovered. I went on to play at small college, which was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I remember I told you the story of going to Tennessee Tech and realizing that I had been a big fish in a very small pond, and it dawned on me that my career was over. In fact, I probably never had one. I remember being angry with God. I, got, I, I wasted all this time. I went to work in Zimbabwe, Africa, chasing a girl, remember? Found my wife. We went to Zimbabwe together. I was supposed to work with my in-laws, but then they lost their work permit. So here I am in Africa all uh, alone. The people that I came to work with are not going to be able to work with me now. Of course, I'm a young, so it's still all about me, not about them. I realized I wasn't going to be able to coach basketball and do campus ministry in Zimbabwe, and that devastated me. Now I had to take over this role. Then right when I'm getting used to preaching and teaching and growing the church, our work permits revoked, and I have to leave. So I decided to go to seminary. I felt like I needed to learn more, so I went to seminary, and seminary broke me because I'd grown up in a very legalistic church, and for the first time in my life, I learned about grace, and I didn't quite know what to do with it. I end up in New Zealand after graduating seminary for 10 years. And I've shared little bits and pieces of this, but I have to be careful. When people are listening all the time, I have to be very careful. But no one hurt me like the people of New Zealand. I had given my life for 10 years, and I felt like I would have been betrayed, and people turned their back on me when I needed them most. God is good. People suck. (laughs) I'm sure I suck too. And looking back now, I'm sure I had a lot to do with it. Then I took the job in LA. Within the first week, most of you know, I entered into this deep, deep, dark depression. I thought everything I'd wanted was here, and suddenly I was overwhelmed. And then right when we're getting the church really moving, COVID hits. Sets us back another two years. I saw all of that in about 10 minutes. And then God said, you weren't moving backward. I was catapulting you forward. And then I realized, had I not been injured, I may have gotten a scholarship, but then I would have not gone into ministry. Had I not been disappointed at Tennessee Tech, I might have kept fighting under the illusion that I could actually make it. But then I would have probably not met Robin, gone to Africa, lost my in-laws, forced to preach, discovering God's real call on my life. Had my work permit not been revoked, I would have remained and never gone to seminary and discovered the grace of God. Had I not experienced the pain of betrayal in New Zealand, and this is important, 
I would have never been so willing to honor the past. And when I came here, I came after two fantastic pastors. And I think had I not learned the lesson of how important it is to value the past, I wouldn't have survived here. And had I not realized my full dependency on God through my anxiety disorder, I think I would have already burned out and been out of ministry. All my troubles saved me. Am I in the place of God? I don't even know what I need. I don't even know what I need to pray for, but I can tell you this. He who did not spare his own son will surely give me all good things. Amen? And the Spirit helps me in my weakness. I do not know what I ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for me through wordless groans. And he who searches my heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for me in accordance with the will of God. Do you remember Jeremiah Denton and the book that I've referred to called When Hell Was in Session? Do you know his story? The highest American ranking officer captured by the North Vietnamese. Struggled and struggled and struggled for honor. They would torture him because they wanted the information they knew only he had. They would actually starve him to death and right at the breaking point, slide a plate under his door of human feces. He survived. And he said, and I quote, if it was not for God or if it weren't for the love of Christ, we could have never survived. Every boy I related to who was able to conquer this persecution had one thing in common, faith in God's ability to bring about good. You know, I've read that a thousand times, but I never knew he actually wrote a poem. In, in the, on Easter weekend, 1969, in Vietnam, Jeremiah Denton wrote a poem putting words into Jesus' mother, Mary's mouth, as she was at the foot of the cross. The first part of it goes like this. The soldiers stare, then drift away. Young John finds nothing he can say. The veil is rent, the deed is done, and Mary holds her only son. His limbs grow stiff, the night grows cold, but naught can lose that mother's hold. Her gentle anguish eyes seem blind. Who knows what thoughts run through her mind? Perhaps she thinks of last week's palms with cheering thousands offering alms, or dreams of Cana on that day, she nagged him till she got her way. And then he finishes by saying this, her face shows grief, but not despair. Her head, though bowed, has faith to spare. For even now she could suppose his thorns might somehow yield the rose. Her life with him was full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all is one. Joseph just kept, just kept doing the right thing, even if it led him into a dungeon for four years, even if it included being falsely accused, even if his friends betrayed him. Joseph knew he's not God, and he doesn't have all the information about what has to happen today or tomorrow at any point in his life to turn out the way God intends for his life to turn out for God's glory. He just let God be God and kept walking faithfully. Do you know what Jesus, and I've read this and I could go on through a long list of what Joseph and Jesus have in common. 
Both were the object of the Father's special love. Both had promises of divine exaltation. Both were mocked by their families. Both were sold for pieces of silver. Both were stripped of their robes. Both were delivered up to the Gentiles. Both were falsely accused, were faithful amid temptation, were thrown into prison, stood before rulers, brought salvation to their brothers, were exalted after and through humiliation. Both embraced God's purposes, even though it brought intense physical harm. Both gave bread to the hungry. But here's that new thing. Do you know what I realized? There's, this is a comparison that I've never read or never seen. I think I may have discovered it for the first time. There's something else that Joseph and Jesus have in common. They had to go at it alone. Joseph had no community. He was in a foreign land. He had no balcony people cheering him on. Jesus faced his hour of trial, abandoned by his own father. The father turned his face away. So here's how I want to end. Do you remember Florence Chadwick? We talked about her a couple of years ago. Everybody know that name? You should. You're in Southern California. She was born in San Diego, California. Grew up on the beach. Began competing as a swimmer at age six. She loved the water, and at the encouragement of her uncle, entered rough water contest and usually won, even beginning at age seven. At age 11, she won first place in the six-mile race across the choppy waters of the San Diego Bay. At 13, she came in second in the U.S. National Championships. She was actually the first woman to swim across the English Channel and back. As a bad swimmer, I'm telling you, that just impresses me. I get in the water, I sink right to the bottom. She even swam across the Straits of Gibraltar. When she was 34 years old, she attempted to become the first woman to swim 21 miles across the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palos Verde on the California coast. The day that she attempted that, the weather was so challenging, the ocean was ice cold, the fog was so thick, she could barely see the support boats that would follow her across the channel. The tides and the current were against her, and there were sharks in the sea. That's enough right there. I'm out. (laughs) But at daybreak, she decided to go ahead anyway, thinking that the fog would lift. So she swam hour after hour, but the fog did not lift. And Americans are watching all this on television. What a national event. And the guys in the boat keep firing shots from their rifles to chase the sharks away. Man, but she kept going. At the 15th hour point, she began to doubt her ability to finish the swim, something that had never happened. She told her mother in one of the boats she didn't think she's going to make it. Unfortunately, at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she had to stop. And with huge disappointment, she asked her support crew to take her out of the water. Because of the fog, she couldn't see the coastline. She had no idea where she was. And she soon found out she was less than a mile from the coast. Later, she told a reporter, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. I don't know where you are or what you're facing. I want to show you the land. I want to cheer you on. Stay the course. One more hour, one more day. You're nearing the shore. The land is near. I'm in your corner. You've got a community, something that Joseph, Jesus, did not have. You've got people around you. Not all of them are for you, but you've got enough who are for you. You've got one that's for you. You've got more than most. Keep trusting. Let God do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. For when you're in the midst of life's most fierce battle, chances are you are most centered in the will of the Father. He's about to bring salvation. And all that was meant for evil, 
God is going to use for immeasurable good. So that if you fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of your faith, if you lift up your head and you lift up your eyes, you'll see the promised land. And you too can say, your life with him has been full of signs that God writes straight with crooked lines. Dark clouds can hide the rising sun and all seem lost when all is one. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and for a reminder that you are large and in charge. You are sovereign over the events of our lives. And you show us how Joseph as an archetype reminds us that it is possible that the crosses of our lives are exactly where you need us to be to accomplish your goodwill and purpose. And Father, when we think about the fact that all of the issues and all of the mistakes and all of the sin and all the addictions and all of the pride that we've entered our life or that entered our Christian life, bringing that baggage in, that you're able to turn around and redeem for your greatness and your cause, we stand amazed how you're able to bring all the things together, connect all the dots and use it for your glory. For those who are suffering, I pray, give them the ability to stay the course and to remember he who did not spare his own son will give us all good things in Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.